welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. And some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for his guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I I I see seated in the back of the church my young grandson Cain. Hi, Cain. And uh, it occurred to me that before I touch on the uh, words of the prophet Amos, I need to 
probably make sure that uh, uh, for benefit of the younger among us uh, that they know what a plumb line is <laughs> okay a plumb line it's a, a line with a weight on the end of it when you hold the string the weight is always up and down causes the string to be up and down move it it's always up and down okay and they use that to check the straightness of walls when you're building so that's a plumb line that uh, Amos saw in his uh, his vision okay Amos is uh, uh, a prophet and uh, prophets in Israel were raised up you you didn't belong to a family of prophets uh, like you would the priestly class uh, of, of uh, folk but rather the prophets were called uh, from <laughs> in this case being a, uh, a laborer to becoming uh, an oracle for God uh, and so Amos writes, this is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. Okay. With a plumb line in his hand, the Lord's the builder. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line? Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will never pass by them again without noticing. For, again, straight is straight. True is true. Bending, neither left nor right. Use a plumb bob, it can't happen. It is always straight not to the right nor to the left as if to say if Israel is seeking something uh, else if Israel is seeking another God then Israel should look for another God if Israel is seeking a different God one that bends Israel ought to seek another God. But Israel did not. Okay? I've heard it sometime past, I don't know exactly when, that uh, when a Roman Catholic priest steps into the pulpit to deliver a Sunday homily, uh, the beginning of that homily is often an invocation of the name of the Holy Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and thus begins the sermon. I've heard it said that when a rabbi steps in a synagogue into the pulpit and begins his sermon, he often begins, Thus says the Lord. Okay, with those kind of prophetic-sounding words. But all too often, when a Protestant pastor uh, steps into the pulpit to begin, the first words out of the mouth can be well now it seems to me which would you find most persuasive in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit thus says the Lord or well now it seems to me <laughs> when we look at one translation of the Bible a part of the gospel lesson today reads when Herod heard John he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. 
And in another translation of the Bible, it reads, Herod liked to listen to John, even though Herod became greatly disturbed every time he heard John. Okay? And so no matter which of those kind of sounding translations um, work best for you or most appealing, today's lessons speak to the struggle between what one wants to hear and what has been said. The difference between what has been spoken by the prophets and through the Son and what the hearer wishes they might have said instead. The difference between divine and human wisdom, in other words. The text from Amos suggests a distinction uh, the way a plumb line does. Straight or not, one side or the other, no bend, no curve. This is it. This morning, uh, let's just acknowledge but not focus upon the grisly events surrounding the death of John the Baptist. I think talking about his death would be uh, too easy, too uh, um, self-serving, if you will. But particularly for us, we who live in a world, again, where beheading has become uh, a rather uh, a common commonly spoken of things. Rather, this morning let's consider the apparent inner progression, the inward progression of thought that Herod employed that allowed him, in his own mind, this vain and insecure man to kill John the Baptist. How do killers get from passivity to homicide, we could ask? How did Herod justify it in the precincts of his own disturbed mind? First of all, let's acknowledge that Herod had to step away from the law of God. Thou shalt not kill was already out there. huh? Of Herod, it has been said that he was good at just two things. Building things and killing things. Herod engaged in ambitious Roman-like building projects. He liked to impress his Roman overseers uh, to dress Roman and build things Roman-like. But Herod also had another feature, and that is he was quite ambitious in killing anyone who he felt threatened by. Okay, He... Uh, was prone to violence, so much so that the Romans used to say of Herod, you'd be better off being Herod's pig than his son. Herod won't touch his pig. Okay. But he would lay hands on his own children and did. Herod, not God, was at the center of that universe, of Herod's universe. Not family members, political rivals, nor certainly his own people, the people of Israel, were at the center of his thoughts. And so while Herod might have been sad that John the Baptist was dead, it was in the end of little consequence to Herod. But not so for Jesus, you see, not so for Jesus. After Herodias's daughter danced, and here it is described as Herod's daughter, it was his daughter-in-law, the daughter of his brother's wife whom he had married so his stepdaughter after Herodias' daughter danced and the narcissist monarch Herod 
boasted in front of everyone that he would give this stepdaughter anything she asked for, Herod found the tables quickly turned on him, uh, and he had to definitively choose between that ego, of which we've made reference, and God, his fear of God. For Herod, I think the choice was really rather easy. Herodias had played him masterfully. Although sad, the death of John did not compare in Herod's twisted world, his mind, to his obsession to be the center of all things. Stepping away from the law of God would be neither new nor particularly difficult for Herod. It grew easier and easier until Herod was able to arrive at the position that whatever felt right to him was right. Whatever felt right in that moment governed his actions. And so, the death of John the Baptist, as you know. Herod knew that John was from God, and like other prophets of old, I suspect John probably claimed special access uh, to the king's ear, as Nathan spoke to David. Okay, Prophets tended to have access to the king, and they would speak uh, on behalf of the Lord to them. Speaking for the Lord, and consequently often suffering what came to be known as the prophet's reward, and that is your death or martyrdom. Well, Herodias, uh, she knew she stood condemned before God by the law of Moses for many things, I'm sure, but among them her illicit marriage to Herod, and she didn't like the fact that it was being pointed out. No one except John the Baptist dared say openly uh, that she was living in sin uh, with Herod, and for his honesty, Herodias would make sure that she exacted the perfect revenge. She used Herod's vanity to accomplish the deed. Challenged by Herodias, Herod fell prey to his own ego. Okay, And John the Baptist died. The voice no longer cried in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. For the mantle had passed now from John to Jesus. John's ministry was done, and Jesus' ministry was in the ascendancy, and now comes rapidly to the fore. Almost reflexively, if you read this account in Mark's Gospel, you will notice that Mark placed immediately on the heels of this grotesque act a miracle, one of the great miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. Herod exerted power. In response, Jesus exerted greater power. Now back to my initial thought. These lessons, both Amos and in Mark, speak to the struggle between what we want to hear and what has been said. The difference between what has been spoken by the prophets and through the Son and what we, in our sinfulness, might wish they had said instead. This constitutes a key difference, I'm going to suggest to you, uh, between a godly people, people who 
confess their faith and believe in revelation through scripture and in the person of Jesus. I will call them godly people. This constitutes a key difference between godly people, people of revelation, and humanists, okay, for whom there is, nor can there be, anything higher than the belief in the infinite perfectibility of human nature. In other words, we can be better and better and always better. And these two things, I think, stand in contrast. One is a belief in the uh, uh, fundamental truths of God that are given, that are revealed, and a belief that given enough time, we'll be really good. We'll work it all out. Okay. Yet, if hope is placed in this infinite perfectibility that I speak of, which is very pervasive in our day, our culture, this place in which we live, if hope is placed in the infinite perfectibility of human beings, I ask what happens when a people, a nation, comes to be ruled by a pathological mind. Okay? Whether Herod or Hitler, okay, what happens when a pathological mind becomes the supreme law to which all must obey? Nero or nonsense, human perfectibility, I suggest to you, is a dangerous business, this belief in infinite human perfectibility. It's a dangerous thing because it always remains vulnerable, as we have seen in this lesson, to the manipulations of Herodias, Herodias, who plays the game masterfully in order to get you to do what they want. Thus, to the people of the Old Testament, and so to people of the church, God's revelation, scripture, its authority, okay, uh, God's revelation is not of human origin, but rather of divine origin, divine wisdom, divine will. It is revealed truth. God's word becomes then the plumb line. Okay? God's word becomes the plumb line of truth. To build with tilting walls or to build off the foundation is to ensure collapse and ruin. And so the church always seeks the guidance of the plumb line of God's revealed word. And so let's give then the Apostle Paul uh, the final word today. When he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. All right, now, we build upon that foundation, but the church must always be mindful that it use the guidance of the plumb line to ensure that it is building true and not left or right or bent 
Paul continues, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible for the day will reveal it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will survive, but only as through fire. And so when the church begins to build, left, right, social interests, political interests, when these move the church left or right from the plumb line, it's going to be tested. And here I suggest perhaps even burn though the builder will survive but as through fire it will go through hard times these I find timely words for a church that so often hears the siren song of culture and politics in our world today and a church that lives in a culture that advances and advocates for the infinite perfectibility of human nature no I suggest that both Amos and the story of Herod paying particular attention to Herodias his wife suggests that we need be mindful of the plumb line that straight trustworthy simple device that will keep us straight and true that what we contribute what we build in our generations of the church will be found worthy and withstand the tests that are sure to come Amen We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.